Awesome. Can you hear me okay, though? Yeah. Yeah. So. So we have a new guest with us, sleeping little baby. So, morning, everybody. So, let's, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this blessed time to just cast our hearts and minds upon you and the precious work of your Son. And just this blessed work of redemption that includes this long line of saints that have been called from eternity's past and in so many ways just yanked out of their old lives into this precious new life in Christ. And Father, we look upon one of those this morning again and we should just stand in awe of the power of your gospel that this man Paul knew so, so well from his own personal encounter with Christ. And so we just take this time in reverence to you and all that you do and the lives of such undeserving saints, sinners saved by the grace of God. We just praise you. And we just praise you in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior and our King. And maybe the most precious, our friend. And we just give you his name now. Our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So we will kind of connect back to last week with the uh, a little bit of kind of just background study on this book of Romans and particularly, again this morning, the author of the book of Romans. Um, and last week we spent a little bit of time just talking through the 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 calling and conversion of of a man named Saul and we got well through that text but I want to connect us back to it by going back to Acts 9 and it's interesting even as I say the words right um it's interesting to know that when God says you know uh, for, for whom he called, right? So we know that even for this man named Saul, there was a call. Um, and what we see is a very abrupt call, wasn't it? Like knocking him off his high horse, taking his sight away. Um, and we'll read a little bit more about that. But, but as we had discussed last week, it does appear that there was an inward call that he was rejecting, that he was kicking away, that he was fighting against and trying to cover over, sear that conscience that kept rising up in him, right? Just, just makes you 
makes you wonder about that. But I think as we begin to see this unpack, and even in the book of Romans, I think that question will just get bigger in your mind. I would encourage you to just, just think about Saul and all that he was, and now Paul and all that he is as he writes these beautiful books through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But let's go back to Acts 9, verse 7, and let's take a look at where we left Paul from last week. Verse 7 says, The men, Acts chapter 9, verse 7, who were traveling with him stood speechless. They, right, they were stunned. Can you imagine? Right, they have no idea what's going on, right? Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. <laughs> yeah. And Saul rose from the ground, knocked him flat to the ground. Whatever, whatever this encounter was, knocked him flat to the ground. And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And you just, you can't help but think about eyes to see and ears to hear, right? But here he is blind. So, we have a friend, some of you have met him, Mr. Eddie, right? Um, Mr. Eddie lost his sight over a, a period of time. Um, Saul lost his sight like that, right? Just imagine that for a minute. Is there a word that comes to mind when you, when you think about if that happened to you? Like you're, you're walking down the road and wham, you find yourself on the ground and you cannot see. Yeah. What else? Helpless. helpless. Yeah. And the opposite of helpless would be totally dependent. Totally dependent on everybody outside of you because you've got you've got no ability now to care for yourself at that particular moment right and i think about those things because saul up to this point is a man built entirely off of his self righteousness and now all of a sudden he is completely helpless right just interesting, you know, when you think about, should we call it the meticulous you know, the, the meticulous work of God from eternity's past to bring each one of us out of our lives lived to him along that same kind of breadcrumb trail that they purposed from before the foundation of the world that is an overwhelming thought isn't it well that's unfolding in this man named Saul big time right now right and although his eyes were opened he saw nothing so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and as we had discussed last week, that's Syria. 
Now pay attention to this. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. What do you think is going on in this man's soul right now? He, he, yeah, yes. Right, we talked about it last week. Sometimes when we are witnessing and evangelizing and discipling, it is time to leave someone alone with God because God is in the conscience. And who knows what all was going through this man's heart and mind at this point. But for three days, he was utterly blind in a place that he knew no one. <laughs> and he couldn't eat or drink. Which means by the end of that three days, what kind of condition was he in? And bear in mind, what is fresh in his mind? What has he been doing? Yes. And we're talking persecuting with all caps. Like horrific. Unspeakable things atrocities, ripping families apart, seeing crying families, children, grandparents, ripping Christians away from their beloveds, hauling them off to the... And prison was not like our prisons, right? These were dungeons filled with everything you could imagine would be there, right? What? Yeah. Yeah, it's not like that here, right? That's what's, that's what's filling the mind of Saul at this point, along with all, all of his self-righteousness and how that's all squaring because he's had an encounter that one, one could argue from the Scriptures he doesn't quite fully know what has hit him yet. He's just distressed. And I think there's so much in that with our walk with the Lord and when we encounter other people, when they are distressed. Help them understand why they are distressed. And then be wise and discerning, but leave them alone with that truth. Right? And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And, th and, then, and then you get into the, the whole, you know, um, unarguable providence of God to, to come to Ananias, inform him what he's about to do, right? Get his rather human reaction. I don't want to go near that guy. I've heard about that guy, right? which had to be even more stunning for Saul when this guy shows up out of nowhere, right? Which we can pick up in verse 15 of Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, Ananias here, Go. Now I want you to pay attention to these words, and I want you to just, as you've read and studied and enjoyed Paul, think about, this moment in his life and how it just permeates his writings. 
just permeates it. We're going to take a look at just a sliver of that this morning. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. There is a prophecy that he fulfilled. And you think about what motivated Paul, right? It was understanding this was, this was the call on him. A chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, right? Think about Psalm 23 and how deeply committed to Saul's mind and heart Psalm 23 had to be. For my name's sake, right? So you begin to see just the way Scripture just weaves in and out because this is a man to be where he is in life as a on the track to being a Pharisee, had committed massive amounts of Scripture to his mind. Because they didn't have all the instruments we have today. So these things were just, they were flowing through him. But as we talked last week, they didn't make sense outside of his self-righteous works-based system because it didn't have Christ the cornerstone in them. But the minute that came in, can you imagine how all those Old Testament texts must have changed for him? It's why he couldn't stop pouring it out. <laughs> right? He just couldn't stop pouring it out. Verse 16. For I, here's a call, for I will show him how much he must suffer, and there it is, for the sake of my name. Go with me to Isaiah for a minute. 63. And just think about how these passages at this moment in Saul's life must have just been ringing out. Isaiah 63, verse 16 says, For you are our father through Abraham. Boy, did he know that well. Did he hang his eternal life on that? Through Abraham, though, though Abraham does not know us, let me read that again. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from of old is your name. And you just wonder if that passages like that, which there are many, just aren't starting to just explode in Saul's mind. As he's beginning to take all this in, thinking, could, could this be the, is this the Redeemer that I've, is this the Redeemer that asked me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Am I the Israel that doesn't even know Abraham? <laughs> that Abraham doesn't even know we are so far? And you, you just wonder, is he beginning to, 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 and then you get to Isaiah 64. 
Look at verse 6. And just think about this man sitting like he is. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, Behold, I'm sorry, uh, we have all become like one who is unclean. If he's sitting under the law, if he's sitting under condemnation, if he's sitting under the realization that he has just had an encounter with God, and now he's blind and absolutely helpless, you can't help but wonder if he's not starting to think about passages like this. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's what he's, right? We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name. There's that name, namesake, who rouses himself to take hold of you. It was always about us and our religion and our self-righteousness. It had very little to do with God at that point, did it? Right? It's like God wound up the whole system and all they had to do was be faithful Jewish people and, and follow all the rules and be self-righteous to the extreme. That's it, right? It's all about us. And this is precisely what, what you see unfolding. Verse 7 again. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. And think about Paul's writing. Think about his writings in Romans 9, 10, and 11. The whole motif here is this very thought. Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. Right? Straight out of Romans 9, 10, and 11. Exactly the main theme that he's building there. What about Israel? God is sovereign over Israel. And he's learning God is sovereign over him right now as well. Right? And you'll see these connections as you begin to really study Paul through this lens. You'll see that that so much flows right out of this encounter that he had with the Lord and his beautiful Old Testament theology that lacked Christ but now has Christ, and he fully understands it, right? Like nobody else did. Even Peter said, man, the Pat Paul stuff, it, it's complicated, right? For we are all the work of your hand. And here comes verse 9. Look at this. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Please look. We are all your people. You just, you just, you just got to imagine how much of those scriptures that he had called to mind 
He's now just working through his mind and going, have I met this one that they were always pointing to and I never saw? <laughs> right? So go back with me to verse 17 of Acts 9. Should have told you to keep your finger there, but. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, what sweet words those must have been, dear brother, fellow Jew, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? What takes place in our soul? Yes, which means the work of the Holy Spirit has already been complete. That's how you harmonize the doctrines of election. To do that from the absolute bottom of your heart, the Holy Spirit has already brought that heart to a new life, already brought that soul to a new life. And it is, as we've talked, it is, it is the condemnation of sin. It's so important as we witness. It is through the condemnation of sin that we find ourselves just like Saul, blind, hopeless, and absolutely dependent. And that is that turmoil that brings us to that moment, right, when the Father says, you are guilty, and he knew the law better than anybody. He knew at that moment his entire life was an absolute farce. Can you imagine, right? This is what the religious person must go through. And I'm telling you, it won't happen unless the Holy Spirit brings that soul to new life and shows you how absolutely shameful and empty and useless your false religion is. And that's what happens at that moment that then wells up, as Nancy said, with, because what happens? The Father says, you are condemned. You have no hope. But I have provided a way. And as if the Father just turns our hearts to the cross and we see the cross of Christ for the very first time. And we understand it. Yeah, Ryan. It's that work. And I could wait the service was over so I could go forward and fall at the altar and repent. But I was already saved right there in my seat. That's right. I've already done the work. That's right. And it's so important to realize we, we, when that moment takes place, we do all kinds of things, don't we? <laughs> Some of them are like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> right? But, but it's that zeal. It is that absolute zeal that you have been brought, because what happened in the garden? We know the wages of sin is death. What did we do in the garden? 
We sinned. What died? Our souls. The soul died. The connection, the communion with God was severed. And what ushered into humanity? Two things. Two undeniable things. Sin and death. Don't lose sight of that, right? Because you, with those two things in mind, you will see that those two things absolutely permeate all of Paul's writings. Sin and death. And we're going to see it vividly in Romans. Because Romans is an elongated presentation of the glorious gospel that saved him, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? So we're gonna, I'm getting out ahead of myself a little bit. But it's just, a, this, this is just, this is one of those, every one of us are precious to the Lord because he died for every one of us. But he has gone to great lengths with some, like Saul, to just use him in extraordinary ways. And we all treasure up reading about these wonderful saints who that zeal just catapulted them into just glorious things. Tina is reading these things, the glory and now, and you read about the lives of these people, and it's just stunning. Stunning what they have been compelled to do for Christ. And this is that, that zeal. And um, it's interesting, Ryan, that you'd mentioned that, that zeal, because you see here, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Now, I don't think from reading the commentaries, anybody has a clue what to think of that, <laughs> right? Don't have a clue. We do know that it seems as though Paul's eyes were impaired going forward, right? From some of the texts that you read. But, but, but that, that alone had to be quite uh, interesting in that he lost his sight and had no spiritual sight. And now he's gained his sight with what will become an extraordinary spiritual sight. One that would teach us all so very, very much. Right? How many times has the book of Romans been used to bring people to Christ? Right? It's just wonderful, this, this work of our Lord, which is really what it is the central focus, is the work of our Lord through a man like this to, to take him from Saul to Paul. And then look. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. So what's, what's not embellished there in this, that beautiful moment of salvation? When he looked upon that cross of Christ and he made the connection with the Christ that encountered him on that road and realized that and that are this very same and they are my redeemer. And all of a sudden for Saul, the entire Old Testament became a brand new book, didn't it? A brand new book which is a little bit of what each of our lives should be looking like. Every, when we come to know the Lord, we want to know everything there is to know about the Lord, and we should be diligent about that, right? It's a treasure. Paul 
couldn't get enough. He was probably, who knows what he was quoting when they were sawing him in half, right? And I just have to add into that the next verse for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God can you imagine that crowd what do you think they were saying about Saul He's in the synagogue. You must have lost your mind, Saul. Or maybe to make it personal, we want the old Saul back because we don't like this, this Saul. This is the transforming work of God in the soul. And here it is showing up right away with his beloved Israel. These are the people that look to Saul like, wow, he, he's one of them. He's one of the up-and-comers. He, he is way, way up. And now he's a wacko, right? And what do they want to do with him? It starts straight away. They want to kill him. Keep reading. They, right? They were determined to kill him. Which is, isn't there some uh, rather amazing providential irony there? Because what was Saul doing? going to kill Christians. And now, the Jews are coming to kill Saul, who's now Paul, right? Which is, look down at verse 31, and we'll... So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the what? Boy, are we missing that in the church today? Are we missing and losing the worship that our Lord so richly deserves because we lack the reverence. And I say we loosely, right? But just think this morning, all across this nation alone, as we say, how much is just smoke in the nostrils of God? Because it is not for His name's sake. It's for something else. And anything else is shameful, right? Walking with the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see the tension there? I picked on that again this morning. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those are two things that ought to keep tension in us, right? And what is that reverential fear? It is not, it is, Lord, I want to walk in a manner worthy of you, and I struggle to do that every day. And I know I will stand before you, and I know I will be accountable, not unto my eternal destination, but to the simple truth of my flesh and all that you have done now, finally to eradicate the flesh. Amen? Can you just wait for that day as you struggle with your sin? God intentionally left that there for that very reason. That's why Paul was so constant to say, set your mind on things that are above. Now, think about that. What did he see in Stephen? 
At the moment Stephen was dying, what did he see Stephen doing? Looking up. You imagine, this is my point, right? (laughs) How personal was this to this man? These scriptures that we treasure. How personal. When he writes, set your minds on things that are above. When he wrote those words, he you can't help but imagine he was thinking about that Stephen moment when he was the one who authored and oversaw the killing of that precious young saint. Those things don't leave you, right? He was a new creation, but what did he write about in Romans 5, 6, and 7? Who is right here all the time? The old man. The body of sin, the body of death. You know where that came from? Have you ever studied that old Roman method of punishment? If you murdered someone and it was a clear-cut case, you know what they would do? They would strap that dead body to your body face to face. That's where that term Paul comes up with in Romans 6 and 7 comes from. Until that dead body and all that disease killed you. That was your punishment. Tell me that wouldn't be a bit of a billboard. (laughs) Yeah. That's where that came from. Right? But I'm going off off course. Hopefully not off the rails. But go with me now to uh, Philippians. And we're going to start in Philippians... Three, I'm sorry, Philippians 2. And I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of Paul, right? So here's Paul approximately 23 to 25 years after this encounter on the road to Damascus, okay? And just look at the beautiful, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of a saint. Because Paul is Paul, but he is a saint who was saved out of sin, just like us, and was sanctified. Right? Where did he go for three years after he was saved? To the desert, to be taught by the Lord. And then he's really not even visible for another 11 years, if you trace it through. So 14 years that man was being prepared for the ministry that we now enjoy. Now, my brain says, man, how many men do we take from the, the, I'm saved to the pulpit in an hour? And we wonder why the church is where it is. Right? <laughs> Look at Paul, speaking about his Lord at this point. And what I want to encourage you to think about is how much of this is autobiographical for Paul. When he gets into the do not, right? So Philippians 2, 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do you think that is a distant memory for this man? I, I, gotta, I gotta wonder how often his mind raced to that moment with Stephen. And to think of the lives that he destroyed. Though... Those are, that's a memory I don't have in my bank. I mean, I did a lot of very, very, very sinful things that hurt an awful lot of people. But I don't recall doing the kinds of things that Paul did. Right? Yeah. That's why that, that old man that he was putting to death all the time was so important to him. Because when he would consider that old man, he had a lot to consider. As do we, right? But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. The opposite of self-righteousness and all of its children, right? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And when you imagine the self-righteousness that oozed out of Saul, and he considered Christ, it must have just made him want to throw up with self-disgust over the old man, right? Because this is the true Christ. This is true righteousness. And Paul will go on to say, go to, go to Philippians 3. And I can't help but wonder, again, just how autobiographical this had to be for Paul. Was he reflecting on himself as much as the Judaizers of his day some 20 some odd years later? Because look what he says in Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He understood the importance of repeatedly preaching and teaching the gospel and the truth of God because it's, it's really not going to do anything for anybody until, as he knew, that Spirit of the Lord brought, brings that soul to life. So he wanted to be constant, right? That's why he was constantly reminding us to renew our minds constantly in these truths. Because for an unbeliever, there's a moment where you could have spent your entire life with a child <laughs> teaching them diligently the gospel. And it was like... Uh, an arrow hitting stone mountain. And then all of a sudden, wham! The arrow strikes the conscience. And they're dead. 
and headed to new life. And all of a sudden, everything that you've tried to teach that had no impact, all of a sudden has an amazing impact. Right? Be encouraged by Paul's life. But then he says this. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. The commentaries on this kind of like, I don't know what, why Paul comes so out of left field with this. That's basically what most of the commentaries say. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out, and he gives you a big clue here. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Who's he talking about? Them and himself. This is who he was. He was that dog. And dogs back then were not like our sweet puppies at home. They were vicious mongrels who, who you did not want around. They devoured, and they were desperate to devour. Those were the dogs of these days that Paul's talking about. This is, this is him right up to the Judaizers that continue and are ravaging the church just as he was, right? So again, you see how personal this must have been to write these words, moved along by the Holy Spirit. It's just wondrous to think about, right? Because you can see it's flowing right out of the actual life of the Apostle Paul and his past. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. So here comes the autobiographical part, right? Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was at the top of the pile. Circumcision on the eighth day, right according to the law, of the people of Israel, the chosen people of the tribe of Benjamin, the particularly privileged tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law. I was everything you could ever imagine, right? And he, he's getting, you know, out of his own, he's getting a little puffy here because he sounds like he's actually getting right up there with his teachers and everybody else. He is at the top of the top in his mind, right? Blameless, which is stunning. Who else, who does that remind you of? A rich young ruler? Yeah. Rich young ruler. Yeah, yeah, I got all that, Lord. I got it all. Can you imagine even, <laughs> it's like, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I cannot, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And how could he write that without going right back to that road to Damascus? Right at that moment of his life. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as dung. Rubbish, right, is the softer word. But it is an explicit word for dung. In order that I may gain Christ. And just think about, surely Ananias told Saul, Paul, what the Lord told him. He is a chosen vessel and I will show him how much he will suffer 
for my name's sake. And that is not the call of every one of us. That is the call of Paul, and it is clearly the call of many who have a ministry of suffering to the glory of the Lord, right? But we are all called, as James talking about, in different ways into the church to fill the body and make her complete. Many, many different ways, right? And here comes verse 9, really an important passage as you're witnessing to religious unsafe people. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, Abraham's faith, right? Which is to believe God, period. Right? No. Did God really say, is that really what he means? Because I kind of like this sin over here. Right? No, it is to believe God at his word. And as in Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness. The gospel according to Abraham. <laughs> right? And that's what Paul is reflecting on here. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain, and here it comes, the resurrection from the dead. And this is his beautiful teaching. Death has no power over you as a believer. It has none. Because the second death, which has all the power and leads our life in fear apart from a saving relationship in Christ and, frankly, a non-discipled relationship with Christ. Because there are many who, who express a faith in the Lord but are so not discipled to these truths. There is no fear of death because death has been conquered. Though we will die, we will, the resurrection, that's why it's so important, right? We look to Christ's resurrection because that is our resurrection. We fear not death. We battle with sin. It's real, but it's going to be gone in that second resurrection. It's beautiful. And Paul just couldn't stop talking about it, could he? As you run your mind through the Pauline corpus that you've read. This is, this is central to him in everything he writes. Now I want to just take you um, to just a, a couple more places. Go with me to Psalm 103 verse 8. And I think we all in our testimony have got um, a number of scriptures that we have drawn great strength from. And I know this is one for, for most of us. I can remember a couple guys in the prison, Mark would know them too, that when we would play this song, they would just weep. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. And think how long he chided with Saul. 
nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise be to the Lord for that. And you know what's interesting? There isn't a single human being who has come into life that cannot say, he has not dealt with me according to my sin. Because every one of us have sinned before we ever knew what sin was. Every one of us. Just watch your two-year-old with your four-year-old. <laughs> right? Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who what? There it is again. See how it permeates Scripture? That reverential fear of the Lord. And this is the verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There is a fear that precedes salvation that is brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is the fear of hell. That's what was pressed upon my precious nine-year-old right, wife at the time. The realization that I am going straight to hell. And I don't want that. And that's when the Father shows us the Son. Right? In the tender heart of a child, all the way out to a 43-year-old religious hypocrite. And well beyond that, right? So let's wrap up in this precious place. Go to, go to Colossians 3. And boy, I tell you, if there's a passage you want to commit to your mirror in the morning or your mind... For memorization, this would be a good one. Colossians 3.1. And think about Saul and what is now 23, 4, 5 years later. And a whole lot of rough ministry in between. If then you have been raised with Christ, here it is. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, especially right now, because it is a mess and getting worse. For you have died, and this is just precious to me, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, just hidden away. Just a precious life hidden away in Christ and absolutely useless to the world in its ways. It's a gem. It's a diamond hidden away in the diamond that made them a diamond, right? That cut us, hewn us like the Father doing all that pruning. That is for the believer that they may bear more fruit, and for the unbeliever, that they may be cut off. Same Father. And here's Paul's hope. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, there's that resurrection and return, our resurrection, if we're not alive at the time, and his return. Then you also will appear with him in glory, and you've finally been cut out of that body of flesh. Amen? Kind of makes you want to just pray, doesn't it? Ryan, why don't you pray for us? Father, it overwhelms us when we think about your great salvation. Father, you get all the credit and all the glory because you chose us before we chose you. You loved us before we loved you. Mm -hmm. Salvation is your gift. Amen. So next week, we'll take a look at the church in Rome. And um, I would encourage you, I always have to just get a warm heart when I look at the music that we'll be singing this morning in light of the message that this text rose up. Isn't it wondrous? It's just beautiful. So, so thank you guys for singing so beautifully like those of us that can't <laughs> or for those of us that can't. You're going to shut me off there, Bubba? Mm -hmm.